I realized like, oh, I am not alone. There is a whole lot of other people that have gone through this. Like, y'all, there's 8 billion people on this planet. You're not alone. (laughs) And I say that with so much love and compassion for what everybody's individual experience is, right? Like, I've never lived your life. You never lived mine, right? But there's certain things that we have in common that we can relate with. And that's where the like, you're not alone comes from. Hello, my bison allies, it's Talia Cass here with Bisexual Behavior. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I really wanted to do a special episode that talks specifically about the links between bisexuality and mental health. Uh, Mental health awareness is something that's super important to me. Um, I'm not personally an expert on this topic, but it is something that I've experienced and I feel very passionate about. So I was really excited to bring on a listener named Sorsha uh, to talk about, again, mental health and her journey with getting diagnosed with ADHD, which, as a lot of you know, getting diagnosed can be really challenging. So I thought it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, We also talk about combating bi misconceptions in her marriage, which I think is really, really relatable. A lot of us in hetero relationships that oftentimes we're kind of working together with our partners to combat biphobia and work through stereotypes, so I thought that was a really interesting topic, and we also mentioned, you know, the ways that we cope with our own mental health issues and how we kind of work through our own depression and anxieties. So again, I think this is a really important topic because as bisexuals, we're at a higher risk for a lot of mental health conditions, so whether that be uh, depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, OCD, all of those things, you know, are, are a lot more prevalent in the bisexual community, and we talk a lot more about that. Um, I also pulled some stats to talk more specifically about those links between being bisexual and experiencing challenges with mental health um, to give a little bit more context, Um, so stay tuned for the end of the episode to get a little bit more information on that. And again, um, I do want to have a content warning out there. You know, we talk through a lot of different mental health conditions um, that affect us personally, but um, we tried really hard not to talk about anything that's too triggering. So I think this episode is more of a general conversation about mental health. I think you should be okay, but, you know, take care of yourself if you feel like this is something that could be harmful to you, then, you know, listen to the many other episodes that I have. But um, and I hopefully, you know, it will be something that's relatable to all of you. But without further ado, here's Sorsha. Hello, Sorsha. Welcome to Bisexual Hi. Behavior. <laughs> How are you, Talia Cass? I'm I'm doing great, having a <laughs> okay day. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited to have you because you're a listener who reached out. You heard the episode um, Leap Bloomer Bisexual, and mm-hmm. you had a story that you wanted to tell as well. And I thought it was perfect for Mental Health Awareness Month if we talk about kind of what we've both gone through um, and, you know, just talk about your journey. I think it was really interesting to talk to you before. So I'm excited to share it with listeners. But yeah, tell me, who are you? Uh, we usually start with introductions, um, so you can follow my format. I'm Talia. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm bisexual, cis, and white. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm Sorsha. I'm bisexual, cis, white, she, her pronouns. I think I covered all the bases. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me on, by the way. Oh my gosh, thank you for coming on and reaching out. It's it's just like such a pleasure to build a fun bisexual community and talk to yes. other people. So 
So, Sorsha, what I always love to start out with, sometimes I don't bring this up until 20 minutes into the interview, so I'm glad that I'm on top of my game today. Um, (laughs) What is your most bisexual behavior? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. I have been thinking about this for, like, since our initial phone call that we had. I was like, (laughs) even since listening to, like, the other podcasts that I've listened to that you put out and, like, whatever your other guests have done theirs, I've loved it and, like... It really enjoyed listening to it. So I've been like, what would I say? Um, okay, so this is what I had come up with. And I just, it was the first thought I had and I kept revisiting it. So I was like, I'm just going to say it. But my most, it. By, my most bisexual behavior, is especially when I was first coming out, anytime I would like question my bisexuality, I would... <laughs> I would picture Velma from the live action Scooby-Doo when she like comes down the staircase in like the red latex jumpsuit and then be like, yeah, no, I'm very bi. I'm very gay. Like I'm very Mm -hmm. bi. (laughs) We all have one of those. Right? And like that scene for me is like, I don't know, that triggered something that awoke something for me as a kid. (laughs) I feel like that was the start of it. Uh, do you want to know what my um, bisexual awakening was as a kid? Yes. So um, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but um, when I was in high school, I was obsessed with the OC. Um, and so I was really into um, Olivia Wilde's character. She played a bisexual woman on uh, the OC and she dated like the main character, Misha Barton. And they were just mm-hmm. like in their glory in the 2000s, like making out on screen. And I was like, Wow, I would I would think I like told my friends that I had a crush on Olivia Wilde and like it was fine. It was just just a casual crush, not at all gay. Yeah. Just Right, right, right. You know. And like I love the the backpedaling that's done, especially when you're like not out even to yourself of just like, um I I mean I have this girl crush on her, but like it's just because I appreciate her as a woman <laughs> or like some mm-hmm. other weird justification, right? Because you can't just like you know, you can't yeah. just air quotes come out and be like, Oh, I have this crush on her, right? Like yeah, totally can relate. Yeah. You have to be like, wow, I think she's so hot, but I like totally want to be her. It's yes. not at all that I want to kiss her. Yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. So tell me a little bit about your like bi awakening in general. I think you mentioned that you felt like you kind of came out later in life as well. So I'd love to hear a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Yeah, I totally related to the to your episode with Andrew, that late bloomer episode. I mean, it's exactly what, like what you said in the beginning, why I reached out to you in the first place. Like I felt like I came out um, later in life, but then after hearing Andrew's story of him coming out, like in his fifties, I believe is what he said. I was like, maybe I didn't come out that mm-hmm. late. Like it's all about perspective <laughs> anyways. But yeah, so a bit of my story. So I didn't come out until after I was married. So my husband was actually very integral in um, like helping me come out. And there was certain instances when we were um, like being intimate and stuff where certain things would come up or I would suggest something or whatever. And he would kind of like clock certain gay things and he'd be like, honey, like, do you like girls? Like, are you bi? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no, 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 no. Because there's just like so much like internalized. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, and, and there was so much internalized homophobia and misogyny and all of that, that I just very deeply had pushed down all those feelings. Um, and eventually just came to a head and he kind of just like flat out asked me or more so was just like, 
if you're bisexual, I'm still going to love you. Like, it doesn't matter. I want you to, like, be you. Like, and I want you to, like, express that. And, like, you know, like, he he really sat me, like, sat me down and was like, it's okay. <laughs> like, he really had to, like, wow. lay that foundation for me to to feel, like, safe, like, coming out. And then once that was, like, peeled back and I had that truly safe space, I was like, it just, the floodgates opened and it all just came pouring out. <laughs> wow. How interesting though, because I feel like when you do, like from what I've heard from people who are in a relationship or married when they come out, it's mm-hmm. more of a self-discovery and then something that they have to slowly like warm up to tell their partners. So I've never heard of it, whereas the partner identified it before the individual. So that's so interesting. And it's like, you must've felt like you yes. mentioned it was like a safe space, but like it must have made it so much easier for you to like accept it for yourself, you know? Yes. Like there was aspects of it that were very validating um, because it wasn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was plenty of healthy questioning. And like I said, lots of internalized homophobia and misogyny that like affected me truly accepting everything. But those, those early days of it, it was very like just so comforting to just immediately know to not to not have that that burden that I, I've heard other um, people talk about of like exactly what you said, like, oh, my gosh, how do I tell my husband or how do I tell my boyfriend or like, da, 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 da. like that part of it was great. But on the other side of it, it was also limiting because then it especially being married was immediately the conversations of like, well, do you want to like act on these things? Do you want to like explore with other people? Da, 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 da. And I was like no, like, I don't. <laughs> like, I really don't. Like, I really just want to be with you. But yeah, but then it was like hard too because as much as my husband has had like clocked it in me, so to speak, there was, there's also been things that he's had to work through as well. Stereotypes, misconceptions, um, not like understanding things fully right? that were sometimes limiting at the beginning. And I'm sure my husband will listen to this like once this is out. So I don't want to like at him too hard. But like there were certain things that, that like offhanded comments that he had said, like one offs that kind of like hurt or didn't sit right. And so like that was hard. And I mean, I've been out to him for maybe since like we got married ish around then. So like three years. So we've worked through a lot of it. He's grown a lot. We love the um, like the have you seen the TikTok where it's like um <laughs> it's like this girl she's like talking kind of funny and she's like hi i'm blah 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 i'm part of the lgbt community and this is my friend valentina she's an ally say something and then like, the girl is just like ally like she just says it and, like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about yes so yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I should like insert that tiktok into the podcast but yeah so we joke all the time that he's like my little ally like he's <laughs> <laughs> like he has bi wife energy, all of it. Um, so he's grown amazing. A lot. Yeah, so he's grown a lot. But um, I guess the point of me is trying to explain that is just to say that like it wasn't always like sunshine and roses. It was a unique thing to have him kind of clock that and help bring it out. But it wasn't all like, wow, I had this perfect husband who just like everything was great. Like it definitely was not. <laughs> So what kinds of ways did you work through those, uh, you know, things that you talked about? Like, I know in the past, um, I've had guests that talk about how they did couples counseling and different things. Mm -hmm. But like, what do you think worked for you and your partner? Yeah, I think for the two of us, what helped a lot is um, I went to therapy for 
a lot of other things. Like I, I was in therapy and so I think there was a lot of things I was bringing home from therapy that my, my therapist at the time or my therapist rather that helped me um, really accept and like accept this part of myself. The therapist that really helped me um, like fully accept it was really fantastic, fantastic at helping breaking down stereotypes or taking down walls or or rejecting like the misogyny or like the homophobia, um, like the internalized homophobia rather. And as I was breaking down those pieces, essentially, it was like bringing that therapy and that those changes home. And like, in a sense, you could call it like policing, like my husband to use that term. But like, if if he was like saying something that like wasn't cool or like wasn't like, ooh, that like reinforces this, you know, I would try my best to like clock it. And if it was appropriate, kind of stop him in that moment and be like, hey, it's not cool to say that, those things because one, it hurts my feelings or it's like insensitive or this, that, or the other thing and like have like a full conversation about it. Or again, obviously life's life. Like there, I'm sure there was times we were out and about and I had to like revisit it when we got home kind of thing and be like, hey, we shouldn't really say that. <laughs> um, right. Or like, let's not do that. Or just, yeah. So it was a lot of like, as I broke down those walls and those negative belief systems and I started to accept them, I helped, like, I brought that work back to him and helped dismantle the negative belief systems in him as well. Um, so that was really helpful. And I think another thing for me was the internet, <laughs> which is great because it's so accessible, but can be lonely sure. at times. Like, I've really struggled feeling like I'm a part of the, like, LGBTQ plus community in a physical sense um, where I like right. physically have that community. I have some friends who are in the community as well, but they physically live like far away. <laughs> so I don't have that like closeness. So that's been a, that's been, that sucked. <laughs> There's no easy way to say that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of bisexual people struggle because they feel like they don't have that community. I mean, like even a lot of the bisexual people I know, they still like kind of identify as straight in a way, or they're like fully immersed in the queer community where like they won't even, they might not even relate to some things that other bisexual people relate to. Yeah, It's kind of interesting because like bisexuality is so vast and there's so many different intersexualities that people have that makes it so they might have a completely different experience than like what you or I would have. And I think that's why like, so something I feel like I'm going off on a tangent, but like one thing I think about a lot is like the stats, (laughs) the stats of like showing that bisexual people have like the highest rates of like mental illness, uh, suicide attempts or like sexual assault. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it can't just be because of biphobia that makes because I feel like there's certain things that other like lesbian or gay people go through that could be more severe but I think it has a lot to do with like it's just such a wide range that like some people might be experiencing something so much worse than other people but that's why I feel like it's so helpful to have a community because like then you can understand what somebody else's bisexual experience would look like you know but yeah I think what you're saying is like so relatable because it's just like how do you find other people like you or can, that can relate to a certain part of you? And it's just, yeah, that's the challenge for sure. Yeah, it, it really, it really was. And like, I came out end of 2019-ish, 
beginning of 2020. So like COVID time. So there, there weren't Mm -hmm. the physical opportunities to like, let's go to a pride parade or like, let's go out and about. Right. It was very much like everything shut down physically. So as I'm personally having this like expanse of like, I'm coming out. (laughs) It was like, stay inside. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. So, I mean, and not to blame everything on COVID, I'm, I'm sure I could have found ways to connect remotely with people. I mean, like, look at what we're doing now, right? Like, but I just really struggled with it. Um, and I wonder if maybe my journey could have been different if I had had that community um, earlier on. And again, that's not to say that, like, I don't have queer friends who I absolutely adore and we have good conversations with, but there's just something about like getting together with your friends, having a glass of wine and like just being together, like the physical act of just like sharing space is so special. And I haven't had that with like my queer friends a lot. And that's, that was definitely hard. So tough. Yeah. I mean, I came out right before COVID started too. Um, so I can totally relate the, literally the only way that I like built some kind of community. It wasn't even built a community. It was just like meeting other queer people was just being on dating apps. So like being married, like I can't even imagine there was no way for you to like even find anyone. Like there was Reddit maybe or like podcasts, Mm -hmm. but I mean, thank God for that, at least that got me through yes. sometimes as well. So, but yeah, uh, Sorsha, one thing you were talking a lot about is your, your therapist and how they helped you break down a lot of things that were kind of in your head. Yeah. And, and it sounds like they were like really understood what you were going through. And I'm curious, like, is this the first therapist you had? Did you find that it was hard to find someone who could relate to you? Because the, I mean, for me, it was I took someone in a really like crucial moment and they were helpful at the time being, but as my sexuality evolved, I felt like I couldn't like relate to them anymore. So I'm just like really curious about your, you know, journey with therapy specifically. Oh, thank you for my, this question. This is like, yes, yeah, what I love to talk about. I'm super passionate about this. And so, yeah, let me just dive right in. So I have had four different therapists, which sounds like a lot. It is. Um, and my last one was actually my favorite one. Sorry to have favorites, but she was the one that really helped me dive into a lot of things and tease a lot of things out and get get me to a really great place. And so I 100% off the bat will say that talk therapy may not be for every single individual out there, but I think it works for a lot of people and it has the ability to work for a lot of people. What's really tricky about talk therapy is it's so personal that it's difficult to find the right match. And it's difficult, exactly like what you said, Talia, of like, oh, this person was great. And then they kind of weren't great or like they didn't fit. And the, the hard part about that is like having the courage, the energy, the bravery to like, okay, I need to set this relationship down and like go to a different therapeutic relationship. That's so hard when you've opened yourself up, you've been so vulnerable and you've like (laughs) poured your soul out to somebody or parts of your soul out to somebody. And then it's like, I have to restart because everything you've poured out is a context for who you are, why you are the way you are. And so to restart that with a brand new therapist is so challenging. I find like friends and stuff that I've talked to, like when they stop going to therapy, it's kind of like what you're saying. The therapist wasn't serving them anymore for that life stage or that situation. And they, they didn't, it was the exasperation of like, I don't want to find a different therapist. 
Like I, I just don't have the energy. It's too much. And so they stop and so hard. And like having starting, having started over four different times. Um, and I kind of want to defend myself. I feel like that's like bad, but it's like not my first therapist. I actually, I think got cancer. And so she stopped practicing, which is super sad. And then my second therapist was just not good. Um, they were like a free counselor at the college I was going to. And the person that I was seeing just was not a good fit for me. I feel like it's a polite way to say it. It was not a good fit for me. <laughs> and I remember leaving their sessions multiple times crying and not in like the, oh my God, I just had the best therapy session ever and like crying, but like that I feel worse coming out than going in. And I remember calling my mom oh, and gosh. being like, this is happening. Like, and she was like, Sorsha, just stop. Just don't go to that person anywhere. You need to not. And I was like, okay. So then number three, <laughs> so then number three was in, um, was in my home, like I'm originally from Chicago, was in Chicago and she was wonderful, but my husband and I just happened to move to Texas. So I had to stop seeing her because um, there's no laws in the U.S. that like make therapy, I don't know how to explain it. Like I want to say like interstate travel, but that's not the right term, but like national, that's the word I want to make it national, which I don't understand how like better help and all that stuff works because when I got to Texas... And I found my therapist that I absolutely love. Um, she was, I, I was traveling a little bit and I was like, oh, well, we can just do our like sessions virtually. I'll just be in like California or whatever. And she's like, no, I can't see you if you're out of state. And I was like, what? And I started thinking about like, how do all these virtual therapists work? Do they just ignore the law yeah. or like whatever? I heard that there's some like fishy ethics to it. So I'm mm -hmm. not really sure. I haven't done a ton of research, but um. Yeah, I don't know. I've like held off because like I've heard that they keep your data, which is like kind of creepy because it's your yes. therapist, but also like yes. I don't know how they treat the doctors. Like I don't know how all that yes. works. So I just yes, I should definitely do some more research on it. Um, yeah, but I've heard it, and they're also sponsor every single podcast I listen to. So I'm like, right. also if you want to sponsor me, I'll just shut up. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Right, and it's one of those things where it's like sometimes accessibility. Like it, I think it can be the right service for for people a hundred percent. But for someone who's done a lot of in person therapy and has spoken with like the last therapist I was with, and her explaining like what she how it works like on the back end a little bit, I was like I don't know how these things work. I they must have something figured out. Anyways, that's a huge tangent. Oh my gosh, so sorry. No, that's um, no, that, that's what podcasting is about. So yeah, just all the tangents. <laughs> um, but uh, so so yeah. Then the person I found in Texas was absolutely fantastic, and I connected with her so 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 mm -hmm. much, and she helped me work through a lot of things with. Um, so like a lot of other, like you mentioned before, uh, bisexual people tend to have like a high rate of all sorts of mental health. Um, issues and illnesses and I am like across the board it's like kind yes. of crazy that I was like looking at the stats and they like specifically bisexual women I think bisexual men come in second for everything but like bisexual women are like the highest percent of literally everything mm -hmm. it's like yes. it's wild but and I and I bet the bisexual men might be just as much or higher I'm sure there's an issue of under reporting or non-reporting from mm -hmm. men already because I know there's like an oh, issue of sure. like 
just reporting in general, regardless of like sexual expression, you know, I don't know those numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm just assuming, but yeah, no, totally right. And so I'm very much like a lot of other bisexual women where I have the whole alphabet soup of disorders, right? I got, got, got oh, yeah. and I got depression, anxiety, yeah. all that. And you see like TikToks where they're like, I'm queer, but that also means I'm neurodivergent or whatever. And it's like, that's yeah. so, I feel like <laughs> I'm seeing so many TikToks telling me that I have, I don't know, ADHD or OCD, yeah. but I should probably get tested for something. But it's like, I feel like every queer person I talk to, they have like a whole soup of just different things that they've like that they're struggling with or that they're you know they just have and Mm -hmm. it's just you know it's what makes all of our experiences similar but very different at the same time you know (laughs) absolutely and I'm curious too if part of that those issues or being divergent whether that's physically divergent or neurodivergent from like the typical culture has to do with like our sexual orientation but like and, and not fitting into like the primary culture right if this is like how right. we're supposed to be and then we we know we're the other groups i wonder if knowing we're the other contributes to the decline in mental health it could i don't know i'm not a scientist i don't know but like i that would make sense to me right like I if mean, we're always yeah, on the outside they, they say that most people with anxiety also get depression so it's kind of like I feel like a lot of those things might go hand in hand of like the feeling of otherness but also like I heard one person talking about how I I don't necessarily agree with this but they were talking about how ADHD is kind of like not not that it's not a real thing but it's also just like it's normal it's just capitalism and just society has trained us that you have to be productive and function in these ways to be a normal or like qualified person um and so it makes like people with adhd feel like there's some kind of whole other label which Mm -hmm. i feel like that kind of resonates in like a queer way somehow like it's kind of like the same thing with being queer and not like necessarily fitting into the straight culture but then you're also not all the way far into just like full the you know full on. gay culture so it's kind mm-hmm. of like so uh. I don't know I think there's some similarities there <laughs> yeah no a hundred percent and like uh yeah in my little alphabet soup of of disorders is ADHD so yeah I have anxiety depression PTSD um ADHD and then um disordered eating um habits and things that are not great so um which is different than an eating disorder it's like step down so eating disorders is something that I like have struggled with as well Mm -hmm. and I find that like a lot of times they'll prescribe that because it's like most people have like a combination of different types of eating disorders and they all have different phases and like things so it's like yeah no completely kind of like Like, an umbrella term in a way yeah yeah and it yeah I think it's a beautiful way to say I think umbrella term is excellent thank you for for taking the words out of my mouth. That's much better (laughs) way to say it. Um, But um, oh my gosh, you had said something that was just so good and I wanted to build off of it. Oh, regarding ADHD. Okay. So I got diagnosed with ADHD in 2021 and um, that experience was really frustrating as a woman and as a woman with ADHD. It's both those things because I had gone, so I'm going to try and speed up the story a little bit. Basically, I had, me and my therapist together, I had come in and was like, hey, like, I'm ha- like noticing these things, blah, blah, blah. She started noticing, like, things of ADHD with me. And then her and I kind of did, like, a, like, went through the DSM-5 in, in our session and kind of, like, 
she asked me like all the diagnostic questions basically of like, did you do this as a kid or was blah, 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 like all of that. If you've been in a diagnostic session, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I met like a lot of the criteria, but she's, she wasn't able to like prescribe me medication or do anything like that. So I had to go to a different doctor. Oh my gosh, this is too long. Anyways, I had, so basically I say that it wasn't just me going into a psychiatrist and being like, I have ADHD, diagnose me. But like another mental health professional had like seen it, was like, yep, pretty sure you have ADHD. You should go to a psychiatrist and like get diagnosed. So I find a psychiatrist who I actually really enjoyed, loved working with her. But my initial experience is really frustrating because I went in and I was like, hey, um, I have been working with this therapist and we're pretty sure that I might have ADHD. Can you please screen me for that? And she's like, okay, yeah. And she starts screening me. And of course, as a good psychiatrist, she screens me for like across the board, right? She doesn't just screen me for one thing. But all she screened me for in that first session related to ADHD was she asked, did you have good grades or not? And I was like, yeah, I had good grades. But it was like so frustrating because any any woman with ADHD and who is diagnosed late in life will resonate with why that's so infuriating is because ADHD markers are different in women than they are in men. A classic thing for young boys or men is to have bad grades. That is not common for women with ADHD. Most women with ADHD have inattentive ADHD, which allows them like they'll still have good grades basically. And it was like a female psychiatrist who was like giving me this diagnostic test. And so I was like so frustrated that I was like, you're a woman. You should understand that women are different from men and be screening me appropriately for it. Not ask me this like men centered question that like wouldn't necessarily diagnose like is or is known to not be effective for women. Um, But yeah, so she was like screening me for all these different disorders. And I was like, just remember walking out of that meeting so pissed because I was like, I came in, I told you what I'm pretty sure is wrong with me. You know, I'm a woman, like female presenting. And then you asked me like a sexist question basically. And they were like, no, you don't have it. And I was like, I was so mad. And then I kept seeing her a couple months. And then I I was like, hey, can I get rescreened again, please? And then she rescreens me and she's like, Yes, yeah, so you screen positive for um, inattentive and hyperactive. And I was like, oh, so not, not just one kind, but both of the kinds of ADHD. And I was like, how did, like, what? They also think that, like, women can't feel, like, labor pains as significantly or, like, of, yes. like women of color, they don't actually, like, feel pain. So they wouldn't give them, like, treatment yes. when they're giving birth oh. and stuff like that. Like, obviously, doctors know a lot because they get the education. But I feel like right. those biases, like, just really affect the work that they do. And it's very obvious. A hundred percent. Like, it totally does. And it's it's really frustrating because, like I said, I went on to have a great relationship with my psychiatrist. But that first meeting, I was like, girl what the heck <laughs> like come on it's so frustrating it's so so yeah, so frustrating it's, it's so tough when a doctor kind of ignores something that you're struggling with so I can definitely relate to that but it's so funny because the psychiatrist I was seeing she was like trying to get me to do an ADHD test and then um, I was telling her I'm like I don't know if I like I feel like I shouldn't have an Adderall prescription because I just yeah I've done it for fun and I just think that 
I liked it too much and I just like don't think I need a prescription because that would just mess with me a little bit um yeah. but she was like no no it's fine like I'll pres- like I felt like she was like More very on the- pushy on like prescribing so- interesting yeah prescribing things so-, mm-hmm. so it was like really interesting but I, I stopped seeing her because also she would talk about her like personal life a lot and like her daughter a lot so it was just it was interesting. I've had I've had an, another therapist I liked a little bit better, but I remember when I first started seeing her, um, she told me that she was going to be very harsh with me and that I need to tell her like what my boundaries are. So if she's being harsh on me and it's hurting my feelings, I should say something, which is something that I have trouble doing. I have trouble like communicating my boundaries, like or at least I used to. And um, so I remember, <laughs> I feel like I'm going off on a tangent now, but um, mm, 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 I was terrified to to meet with her because of it and um it turns out that it was not a problem at all she was very nice like she was actually like really validating my feelings but when I started to come out she thought that I was a a lesbian the whole time because she like because I have like past sexual trauma which like was affecting Mm -hmm. my relationships and certain things in a way and I think she like saw it as well, you're probably just gay because you have these feelings for women too so it's just like interesting how like and I feel I don't mean to like bash her because she helped me a lot. But right. when it came to right. like my sexuality, it was like I don't know. It's not that at the time I was like, oh, maybe I am like like full lesbian, you know. But I just think that that wasn't necessarily a helpful thing to say, especially when she knew that I had like past sexual trauma and that clearly was affecting my like sex life at the time. So it's yeah. just interesting how finding the right therapist is really important. But at the same time, it's also like. If you're not in a good mental health state, are you going to put in the effort to look for that therapist? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I stopped going to therapy at a certain point because, like, yeah, because, like, it was a pain in the ass to schedule appointments. I would, like, call them and they wouldn't respond. And, like, so I don't know how much they expect people to do. So and then the other thing is that, like, I don't know, like, it depends, of course, on your health insurance. But, like, holy shit, is it expensive at least for my insurance, to go see a therapist. I've had, you know, insurance where it was, like, free, but, like, that is that is a privilege. That is not the case for everyone in this country, unfortunately. So it's just, yeah. like, I, like, yep. I think a lot about, you know, how privileged it is to have, like, a really good therapist, and it's, like, sucks that not everyone has that. Yes. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Gazillion times, yes. If I could just mm-hmm. put you on repeat, like, yes. I, <laughs> I agree with everything you just said. Totally. It is such a privilege to have a good therapist. And after going through my four <laughs> and ha- ending with like a fantastic one, it then like it like opens your eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> like all the other ones before. Right. And like, mm-hmm. oh, it's such a privilege. And I I've talked to a lot of people who've gone to therapy and and when it's negative feedback, when it's when they're like, oh, it just didn't work for me or I didn't like my therapist or it was really difficult to schedule. It's so heartbreaking because having seen somebody who really helped me heal trauma, accept myself and my bisexuality, dismantle like internalized homophobia, misogyny, all of that and like get to this place where I'm at now. And I'm like, oh, I could like sing from the rooftops. Right. And like I I know that's possible. And then, like, other people just have a bad experience. And then, like, that's that's all that's keeping them from having the, the good experience. So for our listeners who maybe don't have, you know, a good therapy situation, mm-hmm. like, what other ways would you recommend them to kind of, like, work through different things that they may be struggling with? Yeah. So I think the – oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to – I'm – 
if you're listening to this, you guys can know I talk a lot, obviously, already. I'm going to try to be succinct. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So for depression, if it's a depression issue that you're struggling with, simple things that you can do if you don't have a therapist is write on a piece of paper, hang up on your wall, like the five to ten things, no more than ten, that you need to do to per- prevent like sliding into suicidal ideation or um, like a spiral, like a depression spiral. Mm-hmm. And like those simple things can keep you out of crisis, right? Like if I'm talking to people who are like on the edge of crisis right now, right? And they're not able to get yeah. into therapy, write those on a wall. I remember doing this in college when I was really in crisis and I, I didn't have my therapist, my third therapist yet. And I was like in a really bad place. And I had just written down Oh, no, I misremembered that. I had my therapist in Chicago, but because I was at school, I couldn't see her regularly. So when I left for school, I I wasn't seeing her. That's what I was thinking of. When I left for college, she had said, like, write down these five things. This is what she told me. And it was, like, basic. And if you have depression, you'll relate. Take a shower. Sleep for at least seven hours. Like, eat something. Drink water. Like, those those essential basics. Call, Call somebody you love. Um take a walk outside or like move your body, right? Like super simple things. But when you're in that crisis state of depression, it feels like, no, I don't know if you can relate to that. Just feeling of like, oh yeah, you can't Mm -hmm. do, you can't do any of like taking a shower is the biggest task of the day or like feeling so lonely, but then not being able to pick up the phone and call somebody because you don't know what to say and you don't know how to explain to them or you For me, it was like I felt so burdened by what I was going through and I didn't want to put that burden on anybody else. Burden is a common word that comes up with depression for me, I find. (laughs) It's like that feeling of burden. Same. Being a burden. Yeah. Um, But that's that's what I would say. Like if you can't get into a therapist and you're really struggling with depression, try to hit those things on that list every single day. Um, And that might help you stay out of a a crisis spiral. but another thing, especially with depression, because that's what I'm really passionate about, because that's that's a frustrating disorder because you can like it's like one of the few mental illnesses that has a self-destruct button. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm very passionate about that one. But another one with um, with depression would be know your circles of people. So um and when I was really going through it, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, was in my inner circle. So if I was having like a really hard day, my therapist told me, okay, like call him or text him. So that was like my immediate circles, like my boyfriend, my sister, my best friend, best friends were in here. And then it was like my friends at school who were kind of more on the outside zone and then like whatever, right? Like your circles got bigger, friendships. I don't know if you've seen those diagrams. Have you seen those before? Yeah, um, yeah I've seen those. Okay, yeah. So, like, that was something that was brought up to me as, like, like depression is going to try to tell you to that, like, no one loves you. You're alone. No one, like, you don't matter, right? Like, when you're in that state, those are the thoughts. And so, as much as you can, break those thoughts. Because that's really what CBT is, cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy. is all about interrupting the negative thought and replacing it with um, a more positive behavior, action, belief, and like switching out the neuro- <laughs> neurological paths in your brain for the for the bad one. Take the bad one out, put a new path in, right? 
you can do that on your own. Right. You don't need to be in therapy. Um, therapy is great because it helps you see your blind spots. It helps you like for sure. <laughs> see <laughs> you can't see for yourself. Um, but if you can't get there, like try to find ways to intercept those negative thoughts and replace them with positive ones. If your if your brain is telling you you're worthless, be like, nope. You know, I'm. I'm my mother's daughter and she loves me for being her daughter or, you know, my boyfriend loves me as his girlfriend. Because um, for me, and I, and I don't know if other people can relate to this, my self-worth was so low that I never believed, like my therapist would try to get me to say stuff like, I am worthy and I love myself. And I couldn't say that seriously because I wasn't worthy. I didn't feel worthy and I didn't love myself. And so she, she was like, okay, if that doesn't feel true, then, okay, you know your mom loves you, right? You know your boyfriend loves you. You know your best friend loves you. It's kind of like whatever you can attach to that, and then we'll work on the self-worth, and we'll work on loving yourself when we can. But when you're in that crisis state, yeah. it's like, okay, we'll latch on to anything positive that we can. I'm not sure if you can relate to that or if you have something similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, one thing that I took away from my therapist that was kind of it kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. And I don't always practice it because I it's like you kind of have to rebring your little bit. But I yes. like started out with like so I would like punish myself because I had a bad day and I thought I said something stupid. It was all irrational. Whatever. I, you know, whatever yes. I was telling myself I, I did I, wrong yeah. that day and was punishing myself. Yeah. Then my therapist would be like, well, if your best friend made that mistake, would you say they c- couldn't eat dinner because of that? And like, and I mm-hmm. realized, like, I knew what I was doing was irrational, but I also knew I would tell my best friend that she needs to eat and that she shouldn't be punishing herself for this dumb mistake because everyone makes d- mistakes. And, and mm-hmm. it kind of was like, it, it just kind of points out how irrational your thoughts are, but also how like you should be treating yourself. And eventually yes. it kind of evolved into me pretending that I'm dating myself in a way where yeah. um, if I That's say a something way to think myself, about it. Oh my God. It literally is so life-changing. Like if I say something mean to myself or I'm like, you, you're so stupid, you did this. And then I'll like literally like put myself in like girlfriend mode and like defend myself and like, and it doesn't always work because I'm not always like diligent about it, but I try to yeah. like catch myself and like, are, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Are you hungry? And then I'll like make myself something. Like I talk, mm-hmm. I try to talk to my inner self, like I'm my own girlfriend. And yes. it's kind of like, it's, it's a good tactic while you're working on your self-worth and just like other, you know, things that you're struggling with but I felt like why shouldn't we be treating ourselves like how we treat the people we date because I feel like I would treat myself like shit but I would treat everyone else like they were the freaking queen of the castle or king of the castle you know so mm-hmm. um, I think that was really helpful and Sorsha what you were saying about like writing notes on like the s- small things you can achieve throughout the day when you're in a crisis um, one thing on TikTok I saw that I thought was like such a good idea is that I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it um, a lot of times when I get super depressed, I can't leave my bed and everything feels like the hardest thing in the world. So which it is basically what you were saying before. But um, one girl was like showing that she has a depression box next to her bed and it's like it could be filled with a water bottle or like a like food or a snack that you could eat or like things that make you happy or like something you can jot down notes in just like things to kind of like either take care of yourself or distract yourself right. or things that just like make you happy in the moment. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's like such a good idea <laughs> because yes. it's, it's really so hard to even like go to the bathroom, let alone like have yep. a snack. So, and I like the irrational shit I thought when I wouldn't eat when I was in that state, like 
eating just like changes everything. Like it makes you like so much more able to kind of like push yourself out of something. So it's like those like immediate things can like do such like help in the moment and taking a walk. Like I hate to like force myself to take a walk, but it does really get yourself like calmed down for a sec. Mm -hmm. It's something so true. I I think that my third therapist was, um, my third therapist was great in her own way because she was more of my crisis therapist. I was really in a deep depression and like crisis state. I hadn't come out yet. So I think there was a lot of repressed stuff. I think that fed into that. Um, we can touch on that in a second. But anyways, I'll just say is that like she was really great with this like crisis tips. And I remember her saying to me once that it's so helpful when you can get your yourself out of your own head and that's good with anxiety management too is you can get so in your own head when you go on those like depression um like thought spirals um or like anxiety spirals where it's like if you if you do something physical like take a shower go for a walk eat something you are bringing yourself physically back into your body and that creates sometimes not all the time but sometimes enough of a separation where you can stop that spiral and sometimes that's all you need right like when that spiral is spiraling like it is like a vacuum it just sucks you down and so for sure. anything you can do to like stop that from happening or at least put a pause on it the relief from that can be great yeah that oh my god such great advice um i'm glad that we really got into that but um we're kind of getting close on time and i wanted to do my last segment with you um yes. but before we go ahead on that is there anything else you wanted to add about you know healing and mental health before we move on to our uh found on reddit segment yes oh my gosh i love the found on reddit segment um this might be cliche okay but bear with mm-hmm. me i'm ready it's 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 oh my gosh oh cut all that out I'm stuttering um you're not alone and Mm -hmm. as much as your brain is gonna try to tell you that you're alone you're not I promise you you are not and I know I kind of crapped and shit on like internet, the internet a little earlier and was like, I miss having a physical community. Like to be real though, just connecting with people online, following accounts or whatever was sometimes enough to fill that void and make me not feel alone. Following other people who are oh, struggling sure. with anxiety or struggling with depression or um, other women who came out as bi or, or gay or whatever after they were married I realized like, oh, I am not alone. There is a whole lot of other people that have gone through this. Like, y'all, there's 8 billion people on this planet. You're not alone. (laughs) And I say that with so much love and compassion for what everybody's individual experience is, right? Like, I've never lived your life. You never lived mine, right? But there's certain things that we have in common that we can relate with. And that's where the like, you're not alone comes from. I know that gets like, tossed around yeah. all the time and it can get so cliche. No, like, hey, you're not alone, but it's true. We all need the reminder. I mean, celebrities mm-hmm. get depressed. Everyone gets depressed. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, for the people who don't, I am so happy for you and I envy you a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But most people have some experience, some kind of like form of anxiety and depression or, you know, other related things. Um, so, right. And it's okay to not be okay. I mean, it happens Absolutely. to us all. And like, 
there's always someone there to help um, that like this moment will pass. Like I feel like mm-hmm. when I'm in like a spiral moment, I need to remind myself like this moment will pass. And then I ask myself, will this matter in five years? Most of the time it doesn't. I mean, there's obviously cases where it does matter in five years, of course, or you're going through something that's very tough and everything mm-hmm. you're going through is valid. But sometimes it's not going to matter in five years. And sometimes I need to remind myself that. So I don't know if that resonates with anyone. But all right. <laughs> on yeah. to uh hopefully something a little bit lighter but um so <laughs> found on reddit as you know i love reddit reddit was a big part of my coming out journey i that was kind of how i found community and like met other well i didn't really meet anyone but talked to other people who were going through the same thing as me and i honestly i swear to god people write the same posts all the time and i love hearing it but I feel like we need to like talk about it on the, the show. So um, I found one actually today that I was like, I don't like, I, I don't know if this will necessarily relate to you, but I think that you'll have enough to say about it that I needed to share. So it's called, why do lesbians always ask when you last had sex with a man? Oh, <laughs> I'm, about to, <laughs> I'm about to like call out some exes on this one. Hell yeah. <laughs> I've been, let's, let's I've been talking to this woman. <laughs> everything's been good until she dropped this question. I have been asked this every time I've been in the talking stage with a woman. It actually gives me the ick. What is the reason? What information are they looking for exactly? Someone please enlighten me. So the reason is probably biphobia. Um, Probably Mm -hmm. that they can't fathom the fact that you've once had intercourse with a man. And Mm -hmm. also the person who said it to me had a husband before. So it's like, there's just something, some weird inner shit going on that they're projecting mm-hmm. on you and your bisexual self. Uh, so that's my initial thought to that. But like, that was literally like one of my big experiences when I went on dating apps. But um, yeah, a lot of people would ask me like, oh, but you've been with men or like, do, are you ever going to date a man again? And it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter. A person is a person. Like, yeah, I a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. My mind is teeming with things to respond with oh my gosh okay (laughs) I think I think the most frustrating thing about that is the biphobia coming from within the community Mm -hmm. is so disheartening because it's one thing like okay I live in the south right and I'm a gay woman living in the south or queer woman living in the south gonna expect to not be accepted I'm almost, I'm gonna expect to like be treated poorly and talked down on all that right but there's something mm-hmm. that just like twists the knife a little bit deeper when it comes from home right if we consider like LGBT yeah. community like home base right for this analogy when it's coming from inside the home it just it hurts a little bit deeper right like it does it, it does and like it makes you feel less valid in a way mm-hmm. um it's just it's hard like because I know the... that sorry go ahead go ahead no 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 go oh I was <laughs> the the lag is really hard <laughs> sometimes but um I was gonna say that it's like I know that a lot of like lesbians and gay men have experienced a lot more discrimination or you know they haven't been able to be in hetero relationships to kind of like yep. kind of fit into the you know the straight culture in in a sense but it's also really hard and invalidating to be on the other end of that as a bisexual person so it's like I kind of struggle with it because I think again like yes I accept that there are so many privileges um when you're able to be in a heterosexual relationship but it's also you know you I'm sure you you go with the same things especially as being married to a man but it's yes it does hurt a lot more coming from the queer community 
Yeah. And and I remember watching a um oh 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 my gosh, something just came back to me. I remember scrolling through TikTok and you know how randomly like lives will pop up that of people you don't follow? Okay, so like a live had popped up and it was like an LGBT friendly one. And I was like, okay, I'll pop in. We'll see what's going on. And and like they were talking about, um, I think it was two lesbian women talking about um, just like being queer and all that, blah blah blah. And and I had I had made a comment of like. Um, Whatever. I had made a comment about something. Like, I had just said something like, oh, like, I just don't feel like I'm, like, gay enough to, like, be in the gay spaces uh, as, like, a bi woman or something. And then they responded and they were like, well, what's ever happened to you? Like, have you ever been kicked out of these places? Like, have you ever, like, um, has have you actually ever had a bad experience or is it all in your head? And then that made me, like, get inside my own head and be like, oh, my God, is it in my own head? Like, it's da-da-da-da-da. And, like, question myself. But then it's these kinds of experiences. And if you accept the expression of like a microaggression almost from like within the community to, or like of the the microaggression being like the biphobia to be like, oh, have you slept with a man before? Is like asking if you're like a pure bi woman or like or I'm sure it happens with lesbians when they talk to each other. Like, um, isn't there something that's like called like a five star lesbian, oh, right? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, gold star lesbian. Yeah. yeah thank and it's you. Like, yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> Yeah, like, I feel like those are the types of things, like, these types of questions, like, this Reddit post is what makes me feel not fully at home in the queer community sometimes. These are things, like, no, like, maybe if I walked into a gay bar, I wouldn't be, like, kicked out, but I also think that if I were to walk into the gay bar as a bi woman, wanting to, like, be around other queer people with my husband in a hetero-facing relationship... I would be getting dirty looks. I would presume that I would be getting dirty looks. And it the presumption sure. that I'm not going to be accepted keeps me out of those spaces. And I feel like that's what contributes. Like, it's like a negative cycle for for me. I can't speak for everybody. But, like, for me, that keeps me out of queer spaces because I, I know that if I show up with my husband, who I love, I just – I feel like it's not going to be this, like, the same kind of acceptance as if my husband was a woman and I walked into a gay bar. Yeah. And it's, it's just so tough. I feel like it's such a relatable feeling. And I mean, it's not like your husband is being an asshole in queer spaces either. Right. But But we are running close on time. According to uh, (laughs) to my recorder, I've got three minutes left before it stops. Oh, no. I've got to upgrade to premium. Um, But (laughs) Sarsha, thank you so much for your time today. This has been such a really meaningful conversation. And I've learned so much from you. And I hope that, you know, listeners really get a lot out of it. But where can people follow you? Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah, um, please follow me on Instagram at Sorsha. It's S-O-A-R-S-A-H-A-A. Um, and then uh, same thing, follow me on YouTube as well. I post vlogs. A lot of it's like motivational content um, and things like that. Not like motivational speaking. Like I do like fun vlogs about like trying to get fit. I have this dream this year to like get in my dream body. I used to be an athlete. And I know other people out there gained that COVID-30. I did too. So I'm trying to get back to where I just feel like strong and healthy again. And so that's what a lot of my vlogs are, like funny things of me trying to get back into shape and stuff like that. So I'd love it if you guys would check that out. Yay. I'll put it in the show notes, but that all sounds so fun. Um, But thank you again. And we'll have to talk soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Talia, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yay.
Yay! Uh, thank you so much to Sorsha for joining. I always love talking to listeners who have a really interesting story and they're just really passionate. And Sorsha was somebody that I really connected with really easily. Um, as you can tell in the conversation, it just felt like, you know, it was friends talking. So it was really fun to talk to her. Uh, so one thing I mentioned is that I did a little fact checking after recording this episode and we talk a lot about how bisexual people are at the highest rates of things like suicide, depression, uh, substance abuse. Um, so I pulled some stats from the human rights campaign and the LGBTQ task force. Um, so just a couple that stuck out to me, um, 40% of bisexual people have considered or attempted suicide compared to over a quarter of gay men and lesbians. And of course, those rates are much higher for bisexual or queer trans individuals and people of color. Bisexual women are twice as likely to have an eating disorder than lesbians. So, you know, that's something that we talked about as well, you know, experiencing disordered eating and how that affected our lives. Bi men and women have the highest rates of substance abuse. Again, a lot of these stats are nothing that's surprising. Um, You know, we talked about the many reasons for why bisexuals are always, you know, at the highest of all these rates compared to other LGBT groups or our straight counterparts. And I mentioned that, you know, we're a really vast community and a lot of us have different experiences, whether that be we're marginalized or um, we share different intersections outside of just being queer or that could be economic disparities. You know, financial situations have a men, uh, an impact on our mental health as well. Um, but I think overall, these stats are really proving that biphobia is way more harmful and prevalent than we ever thought. It's important to note that gay men, lesbians, other people within the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community face a lot of discrimination but that's not to say that bisexual people also have a part in the conversation to talk about how biphobia impacts their mental health in day to day. Because at the end of the day, you know, there are people who are experiencing much worse discrimination. Uh, maybe they're bisexual, maybe they're not. I think it's really important to listen to other people's stories to see, you know, how that impacts other people and how we can work together to spread awareness, but also amplify other, each other and support each other. So, I hope that this was really informative and helpful and relatable. Um, again, some mental health is something that I've experienced and dealt with my whole life. And it's just really nice and confirming to hear from other people, you know, what they've experienced. But thank you again for listening. We're actually entering on Pride Month shortly. Um, I had my episode come out a little bit early this month, not only for Mental Health Awareness Month, but because I'm going on vacation. I get to visit my sister in Seattle and I'm pumped. Uh, but that means that I am uh, giving you a Pride Month episode a little bit later than normal. But I'm so excited for the next guest. Um, something that a lot of listeners have mentioned is that they really want to hear from more by male guests. And I'm listening. That's something that's really important to me is not only listening to your feedback, but having a more diverse range of bi people, whether that be cis men, non-cis individuals, different communities. Um, I'm just really open to having all different types of guests. And since I only have monthly episodes, it's, it's really hard to go through more guests as quickly as possible. So um, trust me that I'm working on it. It feels like it's coming out slow, but I have so many great guests on the horizon and I'm so excited to share with you. So on that note, please, please, please continue to give us feedback. Um, you can do so by giving a rating and review directly on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, reviews 
are really, really helpful for getting bisexual behavior up on the algorithm. So I would really love that. But also subscribe so you don't miss an episode and give us a rating. A rating also helps. Um, You can also email us directly at bisexualbehavior at gmail.com. And give us a follow on social media. Um, on Instagram, it's at bisexualbehavior. You can also follow me at talia.tatiana. Um, and I'm also on TikTok. I'm not doing much on TikTok. I'm really trying. But thank you all for listening, for your support and feedback. Um, I'm so excited to celebrate Pride Month with you all from Seattle. Um, but until then, okay, bye. Bye.